Well, today we take up a new study, walking through the first epistle to the Corinthians. And so if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, as we take our first small step into this challenging letter. Now imagine, if you would, what if it was possible for people to actually know your thoughts? And not only that, but what if they were able to know even your deepest, darkest secrets? Now, as scary as that is, (laughs) even more... What if those thoughts and those feelings and those desires were not just known, but they were put on the screen right now? Or even streamed live for everyone to know and to see? How would you feel about that? (laughs) Confident? A scary thought, right? No good. I would not want that to be the case, right? And why is that? Why, why, would we, why would you not want your thoughts and your desires and all those things that maybe you thought this week, you felt this week, maybe even thoughts you've had of other people this week, good or bad, why wouldn't we want those up on the screen right now for every one of us to see? Well, because deep down... We know that we are a mess. (laughs) And something like that would mean that we would not be able to hide any of that mess anymore. People would know just how sinful we are in our thoughts and our desires, the things we're tempted with. All that would be there. You know, sometimes, I think perhaps even especially as Christians, we forget just how bad we are. That after we come to faith in Christ, we maybe begin thinking, you know, I'm really not that bad after all. You know, I I think I'm a little bit more holy than everyone else after all. Maybe I'm worthy of this. (laughs) But that's not true. We forget just how much we need Jesus sometimes, don't we? Yet the depth of the mess, of our mess and of our depravity, and the depth of our sin, it magnifies the depth of God's grace all the more. And we need to remember this. The truth that we are sinners saved by grace, especially as we begin 1 Corinthians. Because in many ways, the Corinthian church was just that. They were a big mess. And I mean that. And we'll see that in the weeks and the months to come. And even some of that today. Yet as Paul begins this letter, 
surprisingly, it's not the mess that he zeroes in on. He doesn't focus on that. Instead, what he focuses on is grace. So let's begin here. Reading then with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter. So by the grace of God, may we receive the word of God this morning. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as we begin this letter today, this is a letter that will challenge us. And not because it's in your face, like the letter of James. If you were here walking with us through that letter, as we studied that, you know exactly what I mean. James was in your face pretty much the whole time. And he didn't let up even till the end of the letter. But that's not why this letter is a challenge for us here. It's a challenge because it touches on some hard subjects. And subjects that perhaps we often maybe don't necessarily like to talk about or maybe we're just confused over. We don't even know what to think about them. And so its subjects range from divisions, the cross, sexual morality, marriage, idolatry, head coverings, the spiritual gifts, which most of you probably thought of 1 Corinthians for that very reason. And it ranges from all those and then to the resurrection as well. A wide array of subjects and even more that I didn't mention to you that Paul will touch on in this letter. And right in the midst of all that, as we know that about this letter, it's also an immensely practical letter as well. It deals with real questions and it deals with real issues. Even things that maybe we squirm over a bit. And you might squirm a bit as we walk through this letter. You might even blush a few times, especially when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <laughs> you can look at that on your own if you want to see what I mean. And so you need to come, and all of us need to come, expecting that this letter, it's going to stretch us, it's going to press us, and it's going to spur us on in the midst of a confused world, not to become more like the world, 
but to become more like Christ and to be who we are and to be what we are, which is where this letter begins here this morning. It begins emphasizing that we are a called people. We are a called people. Now that's an important word, that word called. So it runs like a steady stream through these verses, through our verses here this morning. And so verse 1, Paul called by the will of God. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. And so we need to see that now because it will define much of what we're going to see as we walk through these verses. And so we'll return to that in just a moment, the emphasis on being a called people, on called, on calling. But first we need to see some of the initial kind of details of this letter, like what is this letter, who is this to, and so on. Well, it was from Paul, and it was to the church of Corinth. Now this is a normal feature of most of the New Testament epistles. They begin with who it's from and who it's to. And I think most of you probably know that already. We write our letters similarly, especially to those who maybe don't know us. And so it is here. And now both of those matter, who it's from and who it's to. They tell us the context of these letters. So just as if you wrote or we wrote or someone wrote a letter to Haven or we as a church wrote a letter, it would matter that people know that the letter was not written in 55 AD, right? In Ephesus, like it was with Paul here or modern Turkey. But that your letter was written in Madison, Alabama in 2023. Now that's a big difference, isn't it? (laughs) wide difference there and you see even just in putting it that way you get the importance of context a lot of different things happened since then a lot of things are happening right now and so we see there in verse one it's from paul an apostle called by god so in that see that this was not paul's initiative it was god's God chose Paul, not Paul. He didn't say one day, you know, I think I want to be an apostle. No, God is the one who said, I am choosing you for my purposes. I'm calling you, bringing you out. I am making you an apostle for my name. To spread the name of Jesus Christ. So it was not Paul's initiative. It was God's. He was a man divinely set apart by Jesus for the apostolic ministry. Now, though Paul was the author of this letter, he's not the only one mentioned here, right? Now, we don't often see this, but in his letters we find oftentimes there are other people there too. And so also here we find someone by the name of Sosthenes. Now, it might be, that Sosthenes was Paul's amunensis. Now, who in the world or what in the world is that? Did I just sneeze or something? Amunensis? Amunensis. You know, what just happened here? 
Well, basically, that was someone who, you know, recorded the words of someone else. And so that Paul could have been dictating the words of 1 Corinthians to Sosthenes, and he simply was writing these words down. And so that could be the case. And so, so who was this guy? I'm like, who is he? Well, he could be the Sosthenes. Mike read a moment ago, or he learned about and read about a moment ago from Acts chapter 18. And if you remember what happened to Sosthenes, he got beat up. <laughs> he got beat down really badly, right? So it might well be that after all that, that that same Sosthenes became a believer. But here's what I can tell you we know for sure. We don't know. <laughs> That's what we know for sure is we don't know. Now, try as we may, and we have, and people have throughout history, they have tried to know who this is exactly, but we will probably never know who this ultimately was until we go to be with God in glory. So just give up on that now and just say, well, here's possibly who this guy was. (laughs) And so we see that, but we also see here who the letter was written to. So it was written to the church of Corinth. Now, Corinth was quite the place. (laughs) It was a lively port city located near a land bridge connected to Peloponnesus and to the rest of Greece. So it was a key city for trade, for merchants, and allowed for travel either east towards Asia or west towards Italy. So important to us, though, to what we see ahead in this letter, is that it was a city filled with the world, like big time. Immorality abounding and religions of all sorts being practiced. And so this church, the church of Corinth, it was right in the thick of all of that, and it was founded, as we read in Acts chapter 18, it was founded right in the thick of the world. And as we'll see in this letter, it shows, and it shows in a big way. And so the world wasn't just out there, but what we find as we go in this letter is we find actually that the world is in here and like it's among the Corinthians and they're beginning to live and walk like the world. So it's found in the lives of the believers in the church of Corinth. And so of these believers, Paul says that they were sanctified and called sanctified and called. Now that really is incredible that he says that. This letter is written, verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now how in the world could Paul speak of them in this way? I mean, these people, they were a mess, and I'm not talking about how clean their house was. If we found a church like Corinth today, I have no doubt that people would be asking, and maybe even you here would be asking, are you sure you want to say those people are believers? Right? That they are sanctified, Paul? 
Really? Yet, that's what Paul does. <laughs> that's what Paul says of them, doesn't he? Even in the midst of the messiness of their sin, that's exactly what Paul says of them. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? When well, God's sight, they are a people that are set apart. They're like the utensils of the temple. Now, if you know the Old Testament, that's not a slight thing. Holy to the Lord. Or even perhaps like the priests. They are set apart to God. They're holy to the Lord. Which will even say later in this letter that they are God's temple in chapter 3. In chapter 6, they are temples of the Holy Spirit. So you see how incredible this is? That he's, he's saying this of them? Of people like this? And that's not all he says of them, though. He writes in verse 2 that they were called to be saints. Now, as we read that, we need to be careful that we don't change our tune here. As in Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, God called Paul, not Paul, right? Well, so also here. God called them, not them. God called you, not you. It wasn't based on you. It wasn't anything you did. He didn't look at you and say, well, someday they're going to be really good. None of that. It was only God and it was only His grace. Period. Nothing good in you. No decisions you'll make. It was only grace and it was only God. And his calling. Now, God's call is like what Jesus did with Lazarus in John chapter 11. So, if you remember there, Lazarus, he was dead, right? No life in him, no heart beating. He was there and getting stinky, right? Or at least he could be getting stinky rather soon. <laughs> and so, there he was in the tomb, dead. Well, that is all of us. Outside of God calling us. Dead. No heartbeat. No breath. And then, God graciously, effectually, called you. Graciously, effectually, called them. Now, all of that is behind the scenes. You're not seeing this happen. God just does it. He did it in you. He did it in you. If you're truly a believer, that happened prior to you calling on the name of the Lord. It's God's doing. And it's what Jesus did, right? I mean, this is the imagery that we even have of Lazarus when he's dead there in the tomb. It's Jesus saying, God's saying, you're dead, no life in you. Lazarus, come out! Amen. And he did that with you. You just put your name there. And when he did, Life, heart pumping, lungs breathing, blood flowing. And then, what do we see in John 11? Then it was that Lazarus responded 
and he arose and he came out of that grave. And that's the second part that we see here. Verse 2, all those who in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God called. Life comes to them. And then they call on the name of the Lord. Which is what you, if you are a believer, you have done too. Lord, save me, a sinner. And so God calls and then by and because of his grace, we call, we respond. And we don't do that like, oh man, you mean I got to call, I got to come to the Lord? That's not the way this is. It's joyful. It's glad. It's like, I'm not, like I prayed a minute ago, you're not walking there. You are running to the Lord. Here is the fountain that never ceases to satisfy. I want that. And you run to that. That's what happens. And it's glorious in our hearts. Now, as we read this, we see another word here that may be intimidating. And it's that word saints. Right? It might be intimidating because we have all sorts of things throughout history that have been said of these, or that word has been used. And it's meant all sorts of things. But this is not talking about a special category of believers who have reached spiritual heights that we never can. Just remember who he's talking to, right? This mess of a church. That's not what this is. This is every single believer. It's not a special category of believers. If you are a believer, you are a saint. That's what you are. You can call yourself a saint. Now, if you say that around other people, (laughs) they may look at you weird in view of the history of that word saint, but you can know right now you are a saint. So what does that word mean? It means set apart ones, holy ones, that you are holy. That's what it means. Now, as you see all of this, it's not just urging them on to see all these things. Like Corinthians, you need to get this, but for us, just move on, you know. No, it's for us, and it's for us. It's urging us to see these things of ourselves such that if you know Christ, you also need to see you have been called and you are sanctified for service to God in Christ Jesus. Set apart for his name, for his glory. You are like a utensil in the temple set apart for the glory of God and the worship of God. Like a priest leading and pointing everyone to God and to Him in the worship of God. Is that the way you see yourself? Well, you need to see yourself that way because that's what you are. And this should absolutely make our jaws drop. God called and sanctified me. He sanctified you. He sanctified us. Incredible that you are a child set apart for service to him. You are holy not because of you, 
but because of God and because of Christ. Nothing you do or anything else, it is Christ. And he's the reason you're set apart. It doesn't say here, well, sorry, only apostles are the holy ones. Sorry, everyone else, move along. It doesn't do that, right? He doesn't say, only pastors, that's, you're the called and sanctified ones. You're the saints. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say it's only a special few who are the holy ones. Rather, if you know Christ, you are set apart and you are holy to the Lord. Amen. And apply that then to every aspect of your life, right? Your parenting, your home, being a husband, being a wife, in your workplace, in our culture. And that's what we're to do. And that's what we're being called to do. Here is where we come to the central theme and exhortation of this book. It's what runs behind all of Paul's instructions and exhortations to the Corinthians, and it's this. In an unholy world, be the holy people of God. In an unholy world, be the holy people of God. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, who are worldly beyond what many of us can think and imagine, or church, he's saying in an unholy Corinth, be the holy people of God. In an unholy United States, you be the holy people of God. In an unholy Alabama, Huntsville, and Madison, you be the holy people of God. Now remember what's ahead in this epistle. The Corinthian believers, they were divisive. (laughs) They were proud. And we'll see that even at someone going and sleeping with his father's wife, like the son sleeping with his father's wife, and they boast about that. I mean, how many churches do you hear of doing that today? Well, maybe some, but in different ways. But wow, right? They're divisive, they're proud, they're sexually immoral. They're inconsiderate of one another. Thank the Lord's Supper, and that's why he talks about it later. They are a mess. Yet, they are God's people, holy, set apart, sanctified. And so the entirety of this letter is about exhorting them and exhorting you and exhorting all of us to be what we are. Don't be unholy like the world. Be holy like Christ. That's this letter. We're done. No, we're not. We have the whole letter to walk through now. And so with all that in mind, what does Paul do next? He gives thanks. And why does he do that? Because he has a reason to give thanks. 
And what is his reason to give thanks? The grace of God. The grace of God. Now at this point, having heard everything I said, or if you know 1 Corinthians, this letter, we might want to ask, well, couldn't, couldn't Paul have, couldn't he have skipped this part? I mean, really, Paul, you're thankful for them? For these people? You know, I think if we wrote this letter today, it might, be, it might sound or be something like this. Dare you, dear you messy sinners, I knew it. You did it again. <laughs> now look what you made me do. I have to write another letter to you. Because this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and we'll talk about that another time. But I have to write another letter to you. Don't you know I have better things to do? That here you are, and what a mess you've made. And the world knows about it. You want me to be thankful? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, I'll be thankful when I'm done writing this letter. I think maybe, being honest, some of us might have started the letter that way. (laughs) We wouldn't be sitting there thanking God for these people. I mean, that's a testimony to us even, convicting. But Paul does. He does give things. And just putting it that way magnifies what we see Paul doing here. He doesn't write all of that. Now, hear me. He is not afraid to rebuke and to exhort and to correct them. He will be doing that. In fact, the whole of this letter, he'll be doing that. And so he's not saying sin is okay. But here, Paul thanks God for his grace given. For his grace given. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And so he rejoices in God's grace towards them. God's grace brought them to himself. God's grace brought you to himself. It wasn't your spiritual merit. It wasn't anything you did. It wasn't wisdom. It wasn't ability. It wasn't fervency or anything else. It was simply grace. And he thanks God for it. And so he thanks God for grace given. And along with that, he gives thanks for God's enriching grace. So verse 5, in every way you are enriched in him. You see, God is not empty of resources to give. It's God that caused them to abound in all speech and all knowledge here. Now, even at this point, he's not in like 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's not there yet. But even at this point, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's where the spiritual gifts begin arising and being talked about. He's not there yet, but right now he's likely already alluding here to the spiritual giftings. And and even in doing this, though, he's making a point. He has a twofold purpose. He's making clear that God is behind those. Those giftings you have, 
I give thanks to God for them because they did not come from you. They're abounding in these is God's doing. And in that, he's giving them a good old-fashioned what? A good old-fashioned piece of humble pie, right? (laughs) I mean, they are boasting over their giftings and they're thinking highly of themselves. And he's saying, no, you need to understand where this is coming from. Here you go. It may not be so sweet in the eating of it, but it will be sweet in the ingestion of it. And it will be good for your soul. Humble pie at the beginning of this letter. They thought that they were pretty great, yet they need to see it's not them. It's God and His grace that's enriched them. Also, because of God's grace, their testimony of Christ, verse 6, was confirmed among them. So in other words, they believed it, they confessed it, they declared the gospel, and all of that because of grace. And so he's still giving thanks for this. He's like, that's grace too. Yet he doesn't end there, right? He just keeps going on and he magnifies God's grace even more here, making clear it's God's grace that will keep them until the end. It's God's grace that will keep them until the end. It's God's grace that they are not lacking in any gift. It's God's grace that helps them press on in waiting for Christ's coming. It's God's grace, verse 8, that will sustain them to the end. Grace, grace, grace. Now you might be tired of hearing me at this point saying it over and over again. We got it, Pastor. We've heard you say grace. We hear that word and we got it. Grace, grace, grace. And as you see all this, we also need to see that these, as we're seeing Paul give thanks for all these measures and ways of God's giving of his grace. That these aren't different categories of grace that God is giving within the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the same grace throughout. It's God's grace from beginning to end. It's all unmerited. It's all undeserved. And it's all of God. And so it is that we see the reason for this. What is the reason that you will go on to the very end? What is the reason that the Corinthians will go on to the very end? Because if it's up to me, there's no hope for me. I'm not going to make it to the end. Paul says here is it's not ultimately dependent on them. And it's not ultimately dependent on you. And here's why. Verse 9. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why. The confidence is not in me. It's not in you. 
what a terrible confidence to have. You think I'm going to make it? You think I'm good enough to get, get there all the way to the end? That we are saved by grace, but we're not going to be kept by grace as well? Like God just said, all right, I'm saving you by grace, but now you're on your own. You've got to make it on your own all the way. And if you fell, you lose your salvation. It's over for you. Do we not believe God is powerful enough to save us and to also keep us until the very end? And what kind of gospel do we believe in? It is that kind of gospel. And so now as the Corinthians are getting a piece of humble pie here, he's encouraging them also. See God's incredible grace towards you. What a powerful beginning to this letter. I mean, would you have started this letter this way in view of all these things? I mean, maybe you have anger towards them. You're not happy with the way they've been living and behaving and and doing things. But what a way to start it. A church that is proud, boastful, sinful, and sinning, struggling with division and more, and you call them sanctified saints, and you even give thanks to God for the grace given to them. Now, as we see all that, we don't just need to look on and say, well, good job, Paul. (laughs) You know, that's really good. I'm glad you did that. That's not how we're to take this for ourselves as Christ's church. We are to do this too. We're to take on this kind of heart as well. And so may we, as we see all this, let's keep perspective, give thanks, and remember God's grace also. Paul, he could have started differently, magnifying their sin and their failures and so on. But he doesn't do that. He magnifies the grace of God. Amidst the fog of life and ministry and everything else, you can always find a reason to praise God and to give thanks. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it gets, and it gets hard, and you know it, and I know it, but there's always a reason to give thanks. God's not finished with us. He's not finished with you. You may feel that way. You may even feel like there's no hope for me. I'm just a mess. But God in Christ is not finished with you. They were a mess. And the truth is, and you know it, we are too. I am too. All those thoughts on the screen, you need to see the mess we are. Don't pull shades over your eyes and pretend like you're something that you're not. But in doing that, Doesn't that magnify Christ all the more? Doesn't that magnify the grace of God all the more? 
Isn't that why he mentions Jesus so many times in these opening verses? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right? That's where our hope is. That's where my hope is. Yes, I'm a mess. But he's my hope until the end. I'm not moving on from Christ. My faith is in him now. And so also is yours to be. And so my, you see that. that he's at work sanctifying, changing, forming you into the images of his son. Even as you wrestle, even as you grieve, even as you long, even as you pray. So keep perspective, give thanks, and remember God's grace. But as we see and we say that, we also need to see and say, as Christ's church, may we never cease being amazed by grace. May we never cease being amazed by grace. Now, you know the song. You might have thought of it when I just said that. Amazing grace. But not everyone knows the man behind the words of that song. They came from a man who was deeply grieved and broken over all he had done. Because all he had done was grievous. And I mean that. John Newton had lived a life of sin even to the point of becoming a captain of a slave ship taking part in the transatlantic slave trade. And he would remember that for the rest of his life. In the midst of all that, this man living in wickedness and debauchery doing great evil to others, he experienced the incredible grace of God. And God gave him life, and he gave his whole life to Christ. It's from that overflow of amazement at God and his grace that we have those opening words of the song. Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wretch like me. He means that. You don't need to take out that word. He knew that experientially. John Newton. I am a wretch. And see the amazing grace of God. I once was blind, but now I see. Right? And so the nearer the end of his life, as he was losing his sight and his memory, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Amen. So as we reflect upon Paul's words here this morning, so us also. May we, like Paul, like Newton, like the myriad of saints throughout history, never 
cease to be amazed by God's grace. May we remember that we are a called people, a sanctified people, holy and called to be holy in an unholy world where God's by grace that not only brought us to himself, but will keep us for himself until the very end. Though we are great sinners, Christ is our great Savior, even until the very end. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. And our jaws do drop. Perhaps we need to get on our knees before you today and whether it means confession, whether it means conviction over sin, but certainly we need to get, whether physically or just in our pews, get on our knees and praise you and rejoice in you, in your amazing, marvelous, lavish grace. How bountiful, how powerful that our hope is never in ourselves but it's always and only in you. Through Christ, we live and breathe and do all we do. And so help us, Lord, today. As we respond to your word, it may mean that we need to take up that humble pie and be humbled this morning. If we have thought we're something, that we need to get on our knees and confess that. Or if we're here and... We've said that we know you and we don't know you. We have lived in every way apart from you that we would see our need for the one who came for us, who died and was buried and rose again to save us, that we would experience the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And may we call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So Lord, do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.